Welcome back, everybody. Our last interview of November, uh, we're going to bring in Reggie Watkins. Uh, Reggie is an actor. He's a voiceover actor. He's an activist. He's a football, uh, you know, uh, former football player. And now uh, he has an awesome podcast. So we're going to talk about all of that. Please welcome Reggie to the program. Hey, 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 hey. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Hey, How you doing, hey. Yeah. So, uh, you know, are you ready for some football? My bears were not uh, ready for some football. <laughs> uh yeah i heard i heard heard hold on so what what ended up happening because i did not see that um, yeah um what ended up happening so you know we we were coming off of a bye week and uh you know um our quarterback had a hit pointer so we went back to our you know former starting quarterback uh mitch mitch mitch, mitch. Trubisky. and i was really excited for mitch because mitch is a really good guy and I, i'm rooting for mitch i want him to do well uh, and he was saying the right things. And, you know, the coaches kept saying that he really learned in the last seven weeks when he was benched that he's, you know, all, all, all things go. Uh, and he came out and he was throwing into triple coverage and he was throwing into all sorts of things. So he did, you know, what Mitch does. You know, he threw three touchdowns. He had uh, some, uh, uh, he had some runs uh, where he was escaping the pocket and using his mobility, which is really good. Uh, but, you know, he kind of ended up costing, uh, costing us the game. The defense didn't do well either. And, you know, I think the final uh, score on offense was like 45 points against our 25 or like 41-25. It was, it was a ridiculous blow-up. Uh, the defense couldn't stop uh, anything. And Aaron Rodgers, literally, he had eight hurries. He had no uh, sacks and no touches. So Aaron was just there. He was enjoying himself. He was throwing anywhere he wanted to, and the Bears got thoroughly shellacked on national television, as per usual. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Sounds sounds like sounds like Mitch. Um, you know, I in full disclosure, I'm not watching the NFL right now, right. Um, because I only watch the NFL when I'm getting paid to do so, I uh, because of the treatment of Colin Kaepernick. So I stopped watching once he was, uh, you know. Yeah. Not allowed back in the league. But when I had my podcast and I was getting paid to talk football, I talk football. And so my opinions on Mitch Trubisky, um, I knew that when he was getting drafted, he, uh, yeah. he, he said that he wanted to be called Mitchell and not Mitch. And that was a red flag for me, right? Um, I don't know about anybody, you know, who wants to be called Mitchell instead of Mitch. Um, Mitch, I want to have a beer with. Mitchell does my homework. Right. And I don't want my quarterback doing my homework. I want to go have a beer with my quarterback. Right. So I was always not in on, on, on Mitch Joel Trubisky. I was always out. Always out. And you guys could have had Deshaun Watson. And you could have had Patrick Mahomes. I'm I sorry know. to bring that up. Is this all? No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't worry about bringing it up because that's <laughs> all we hear. This is, this is, and especially playing the Packers where they've had, you know, basically best of the best quarterbacks going on the last I don't know, 30 years now. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just horrid. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure. And we, we, we had defense in a running game. Our defense is getting worse. Our running game is non-existent and we still don't have a quarterback. So yeah. I think at the end of this year, if they continue losing like they are at the end of this year, it'll be another reason. So. Yeah. Anyway. So I, well, they can get Colin Kaepernick. They can sign Kaepernick. You know, give it a try. I don't, know why, worse than Trubisky. I don't know why they, they didn't bring him in. Again, uh, Colin was working out for teams. I don't know why the Bears weren't, uh, weren't there. I remember Colin when Bears were playing the, uh, the 49ers. And I remember that cannon. I remember the runs. 
I remember him as a you know, really kind of a solid uh, quarterback. So yeah. I know, you know, the whole uh, blacklist uh, because that's really what he got uh, yeah. uh, because of it. But, I mean, at some point we've moved past it, right? We should. So shouldn't he have an opportunity? Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of uh, – that whole thing rubbed me the wrong way. I never had a problem with kneeling. Uh, if, if anybody has a problem with me having a problem with kneeling, please put it in the comments because I don't. Uh, I don't have a problem with kneeling. Uh, I, I, any peaceful protest is good with me. So no issues whatsoever. And Colin started it. I, I think everybody needs to be thankful to him for starting this whole process because there, I don't know if there would be BLM without uh, what he was doing. So, um, which brings us to, to another thing that uh, you, you started a new, uh, it's, is it a foundation? I, I don't know how to uh, phrase it properly, but you started Value of Change. Uh, it's it's uh, your you know, movement. Yes, um, I started a nonprofit organization called the okay. Valley of Change, uh, mm -hmm. based out of the Valley of Los Angeles. Um, you know, it started you know after the civil unrest in the country, you know, surrounding the murder of George Floyd, and then you know, confounded by the murder of Breonna Taylor. Um, I wanted to get involved in some activism. I've always been you know the yeah. militant activist you know, friend of my group, someone who was always, you know, into politics and, you know, spoke my mind, you know, I, I don't shrink for anything um, or anyone. Uh, so when this happened, I really wanted to get involved in, in activism and get out there in the streets, but we're in the midst of a pandemic. And, you know, my son, um, I wanted to bring my son as well. He's 16 years old, but I was seeing on TV that there was a lot of cop action and, you know, there was a lot of violence happening in, in my city. So, uh, I still want to be involved somehow. And then I found out there were some people hanging out um, on a local busy corner in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So I took my son down there and we made some signs. And as we made our signs and we're walking down, we're getting honks and he's starting to ask me questions about racism and how we fight it. And, you know, what do we do? And, you know, he's 16. I don't know if you have a 16 year old, Alan, but they usually don't talk Maybe. to you. Right. So, so he doesn't talk and he doesn't really, you know, he never asked me about this kind of stuff. It's usually me coming to him. Mm -hmm. So when he started asking me about this, uh, it just kind of sparked something in me to keep being involved and, and, and showing him. And so when I got there, I, I met, you know, there was a group of people hanging out in the corner, but they were all, you know, spread apart, nobody talking, you know, everybody just holding their signs and doing their own thing. And so I went there and, you know, I just started talking to everybody, you know, introduced myself and said hello. And then by the end of the day, I was given a speech. And then the next day, they gave me a bullhorn. And then the day after that, all my friends started showing up. And one of my friends, Courtney, came and was like, hey, you should start like an Instagram, a Twitter and a Facebook. And I was like, ah, oh, hell no with Facebook because I hate Facebook. But we'll do the other two. Right. And so we started doing those. And she came up with a name. She was like, you should call it the Valley of Change. I'm like, oh, this is perfect. We're in the valley and we're trying to get change. Let's do it. And then I met Latour Green, who's my co-founder. And she had previous, um, you know, involvement with non, uh, nonprofits. And so we just combined together and it just was kismet. You know, people mm -hmm. from all, all around the, the city started getting involved with us. And we were feeding the homeless. We're keeping people involved in local politics and educating. And it's just amazing. Yeah. Have you had any pushback? Uh, was there, you know, any, any problems from, uh, from the other side or from the cops, anything? Oh yeah. No, we, you know, we've never had, well, you know, one time the cops came and were kind of, uh, 
you know, flippant with us because we had some counter protesters who were getting in our face. Mm -hmm. And so the cops showed up and we're like, well, you don't, you want to defund us. So why should we even be here? Like, bro, we're not defunded yet. So do your damn job. Right. Um, So that was one thing that happened, but that was the only, the only time we had a problem with cops. I had, you know, I had other cops show up and were cool and, you know, and, and for the record, I don't have, I do not hate police. I just wish they didn't exist. You know what I mean? I wish we didn't need them. I wish that people could, I wish that we were just at a place where we didn't need, where people didn't need so much because so many other people have more than them, right? And doesn't and it doesn't incite that jealousy or that envy that people have because they don't have, and these people have way more than they need. If we eradicated that and we got this closer to everybody being on the same plane, which I know sounds scary like socialism and communism, I'm not saying that. I just want everybody to have an equal share. And if we had that, we wouldn't need police to come in and police people from going for more when people have way too much. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a in a socialist country. I grew up in in uh, the former Soviet Union. So mm-hmm. uh, the ideas that you're talking about, and especially the idea of everybody, you know, uh, having uh, equality, is is the idea that I grew up kind of uh, listening to. Uh, they never mm-hmm. got to communism because communism is an idea; it's not an economic structure. Yeah. Uh, socialism is an economic structure, which I think is is kind of pathetic that people don't do any research when they keep talking about socialism. There is no way that America would ever be a socialist country because socialism literally means look it up, folks. Socialism means that the government controls all means of production. That means that we have no private businesses. America is never going to be that. Never uh, we may have some socialist structures like, uh, you know, uh, our roads, like fire, like healthcare, uh, other things that should be, but we're never going to be a socialist country. And the communism is an idea that everybody is going to get based on what they need. Uh, and the whole society is an idyllic place. The idea of communism, just like the idea of capitalism in its purity will never exist. Because the purity of capitalism says that everybody for their own and nobody is going to be helping anybody. And the idea of communism is everybody loves everybody else. These two things, unfortunately, we as a society, fortunately in one end and unfortunately in the other, we're not there or won't be anytime soon. So there is a lot of rhetoric, but um, from kind of the, the BLM perspective, and the uh, the defunding and you know you you said that you wish the police didn't exist. I wish we didn't have any guns either. But right, what's yes. the what's the reality and kind of uh, yeah. how do we get closer to some sort of a balance? So you know that's well, that's uh, what I am hoping that people will come together and start actually talking about yeah, yeah. as opposed to throw you know uh, throw things that really are not researched or, or make any sense to people. Yeah. And that's what I try to do. You know, and, and when you when you ask about pushback, you know, the, the thing that happened a lot is we get people driving by and they'd honk and scream at you or go home, commies, you know, or throw things at you or spit at you. You know, I mean, it was just you get a lot of that stuff. But my favorite thing and what I wanted all the time is I would love for somebody to drive by, yell something, turn around, come back let's talk right right? 
Yeah. Come have it. And it happened every now and then. Somebody would be yelling something or they'd be at a stoplight and they'd be, they'd roll their window down and be like, you guys are, you guys are stupid. Be like, well, why are we stupid? You can't defund the police. Well, do you know what it means? Right. Oh, you guys want to get rid of our police. Come talk to me. But Just come talk to me. Right, right. And then every now and then somebody would come and talk and they'd leave with a different point of view. But most people don't want to actually listen. They just want to stay in their bubble and feel the way that they feel. That's it. Yeah, uh, and that's, again, you know, my, my friend uh, for years and years was always uh, talking about that people don't do their research. People are not thinking. People just hear stuff, they take it because it reflects who they are on the inside, and that's enough for them. And I was always, against that notion because I love people. I love people, I love diversity, I love uh, you know, learning how people tick and I didn't wanna think of people in those you know, primitive terms. But yeah. what I'm seeing you know, the last four years and what I'm seeing uh, lately is that unfortunately, most people seem to be that way. People yeah. want to be in their own bubble, they wanna listen to the things that they agree with, they don't want to talk to anybody and they certainly don't want to do any research because God forbid they have to think. So yeah. it's, it's sad. Yeah, it is. But that's why we have to challenge them. I got friends in my group chats who will share information. And sometimes, I mean, we would share videos from, you know, Republican points of view. And we're, we're just talking about everything. And I got friends who be like, I'm not watching that video. No, watch it. Right. Yeah. You should watch it. Figure out why they feel this way so you can understand what you're talking about and what they're talking about. So you actually have a point of reference to go to, but most people don't do it. And a lot of people will just let their, I don't let my family and my friends slip on it. No, if I send you something, watch the damn thing, right? Because okay. if you're not going to watch it, then I got to question what kind of conversation we're really having. Right. It, it, people need to be open-minded enough to hear the other perspective because yeah. how will you ever change what you're thinking if you're not exposing yourself to opposing views? And, you know, I, I'm a progressive. I hate uh, watching Fox News, but I watch Fox News on occasion because I need to see what is there and yeah. what people are talking about. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where I, I need to continue being educated and trying to be as objective as I can. And yeah. anyway, that's, that's the political part. But for what, the people, go ahead, Dre. One thing I want to say before we, before we transition off is yeah. well, I always tell, tell everybody in my organization, everybody on my corner, is you can't be the change if you're being them, mm -hmm. right? You've yep. got to be different. So instead of just staying in your bubble and doing what you do and listening to your people and your point of view, yeah. be different. Find out about other cultures. Find out about other points of view so you're well-rounded and you can have an actual discussion. Can't be the change if you're being them. That's true. Because, again, in reality, there is a lot more that unites us than divides us. I know yeah. it's a cliche statement, but that's the reality of it. You know, we are, most people are normal, loving, uh, you know, people who are doing all sorts of incredible things for their neighbors and everybody else, right? But it's that programming. And I talk about the mental programming of it. You know, yeah. the more you hear something, this is what the, the whole ideas of closed up places like North Korea and used to be former Soviet Union and China. You know, the lack of information and only one source of information that keeps, you know, dropping, dropping, dropping uh, specific uh, ideas on you after a while, that's what you believe to be the truth. So we have to understand, we have to look at things differently because 
then you will change. And yeah. you know, before we roll off uh, this particular topic, just for the people who are watching, who are saying, hey, I never want to defund the police. What does defund the police mean? Let's, let's explain it so they're not afraid of it. Defund the police means reallocate funds, okay? It's just like anything else. If you got a business and you're pumping money into one area of your business and it's not performing the way that it should, you restructure, right? Like instead of giving, in Los Angeles, we give $1.5 billion to our police, to, to the police force, right? But the police aren't actually solving all the crimes. They're not even finding, they're, they're not solving crimes, they're not there on time to stop the crimes. So what exactly are they, are they doing, right? So instead of doing that, why don't we take some of that money that we're giving to these people mm -hmm. and we put it into mental health care, right? So that we're stopped because a lot of these, a lot of these police stops and the, and the, the crimes that are happening and the, and the police calls are for mental health issues, right? Mm -hmm. So why don't we do that? And homelessness. How about instead of giving the police $1.5 we put some money into creating more housing and affordable housing, right? And it, it just there's layers and layers to this stuff that we can do instead of just sending cops to do all this stuff that they're not equipped to handle, right? They're not equipped to come and handle. Um, they shouldn't be coming and talking to people who are, who are uh, alcoholics. They shouldn't be coming and talking to people who have um, substance abuse problems. That should be a qualified health worker who comes to see these people and knows how to handle these situations instead of a cop coming with a gun and somebody gets irrational and they don't know how to deal with that person and they get jumpy and then something bad happens, right? So, Let's put the money somewhere else towards the people. Right. So are you uh, in your organization advocating getting rid of police altogether? Uh, not in an idyllic terms, but in a realistic terms. In a realistic term, there is no way that's going to happen because there's always going to be people who have less who want more and they're going to do anything they can to get it. So you're going to need people there to stop them and deter them from doing that, right? But I can hope for it. And when I say defund the police, I'm hoping for a utopian society one day where we don't need police. That's my hope, right? But my reality is there's going to be police. Let's just find a better way to do the damn thing. I agree. Yeah, I, I think everything needs to be looked at. Everything needs to be restructured. Um, I'm not against police. Uh, we all need uh, protection from the uh, criminal elements, but it needs to be done in a way that actually helps everybody. Uh, so uh, I agree. The, the issue with the, the terms, communism, defund, right, socialism, all of these are... are, are wonderful things that roll off the tongue with people not understanding what it actually means and most people don't do the research so they just see it and they're like no i'm against it what, what are you really against yeah. uh and that's that's the part that you need to continue educating people with uh on so thank you for doing that and that's thank you for asking uh absolutely listen uh, these the conversations need to be uh, need to be had regardless of where people are on the political spectrum uh, yeah. especially if they're on the opposing side, the conversations need to be had, like you, you just mentioned. Um, so, you know, people know you as an actor. They know you uh, from Bosch. They know you, you know, from, uh, from This Is Us. They know you from a bunch of places. Call of Duty uh, is, is coming out. Before I knew that you were coming on, I would see commercials on TV for Call of Duty all the time. I thought, hey, that looks cool. And then I had, you know, you were, you were out to reach out, say, hey, you know, Reggie, uh, Reggie wants to come on. I'm like, 
listen, I, I've been watching these commercials for you know like three <laughs> weeks now, so absolutely I want to talk. Um, so tell me more about the Call of Duty. I think it came out, right? So on November 13th. November 13th. It, it, it came out. So yeah. um, how did you get involved with it? Man, well, I mean, you know, just like with anything, as, as an actor, I, I got an audition for it. Um, I, but, you know, you get these auditions and you don't know what it's for, actually. All I knew was that I was auditioning for Ivy Eisenberg, who is a renowned video game casting director, amongst other projects. I've known her for years in L.A., um, but I knew that she called. I was getting called into Ivy's casting. and I was like, OK, this is a video game of some sort. Right. Probably. Yeah. And you get there and you've got these dummy sides where you're just playing a soldier and you've got somebody hostage and you're doing all this stuff. And then, then they ask you to run around with a gun and, and jump and hurdle and flip, do all this stuff. And you're like, Oh my God, like this audition was the most strenuous audition I ever had. And I was like, all right. So I left and didn't, you know, left sweating and uh, got home and, you know, didn't hear for about a month. Right. And then a month later I find out, hey, um, we'd like you to be in our video game. And they still didn't say what it was. It was like, we want you to be in our video game and you'll be here on this date and we're probably going to start shooting on this date. Like, all right. And I still had no idea. And then I show up for the first day and I find out it's Call of Duty. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And let's, let's go back because the cardinal rule of any audition is something that they had you break. The cardinal rule of any audition is don't bring a gun. <laughs> uh, whether it's a fake gun or a real, especially a real gun, do not bring any weapons to any audition. You know, the one of the few things that all the casting directors that I talk to on the show agree with is don't bring a fucking weapon. Yeah. Uh, so they had you do it. Uh, obviously, you didn't bring it with you. But when you walked in and there was a gun there, you're like, was there a part of you that says, are you sure you want me to do this? No, I was, I, as soon as it, I saw the gun there, I immediately thought like, okay, yeah, this is some kind of war game okay. or some kind of soldier. Um, this is going to be fun. Right. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was cool. And it's cause you don't get to do that. You know, when you go into these regular auditions, you know, you go to a, to a television film audition, mm-hmm. you're here. This is your, you know, yeah. this yeah. is your frame. You cannot leave here. You can't, you know, so I'm running all over the damn place. Like I, this is like playtime. So I lived it up for my, I was in there for about 15, 20 minutes and I lived it up, man. It was fun. That's awesome. Um, and again, it's like the, doing my research on you, it keeps coming back, right? You've played, uh, uh, you've played people from the military and uh, your dad is, uh, is you know, former military. Was there, was there kind of uh, any part of you that said, well, you know, I don't know if I wanted to be in the army, but I get a chance to kind of play that part or a little aspect of it. Yeah, it's always been, you know, something I I grew up watching military films and, you know, my my dad was in the army. My stepfather was in the Marines. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up around that and seeing that and always it was never for me. Right. I'm not that damn brave. But I've always, but I've always wanted to be involved and 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 emulate and show some respect for the servicemen, right? And 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 give them their story, especially black servicemen. You know, um, I know black Vietnam vets, and to hear their story, it was when when I heard um, I, maybe about this was two Thanksgivings ago, 
and I got to listen to a, a, a Vietnam vet. Uh, his name was Nathan. He's my, one of my, my father, my stepfather's best friends. And he told me about his experience in Vietnam. And then I got to be a, a Vietnam vet basically in this call of duty. And it was just um, a great feeling to be able to do that and, and, and shine a light and be somebody. I mean, he's not playing the game, but to know that I was able to bring a black point of view to to yeah. this character, to this game, and to the Vietnam aspect was was really cool. I I, I hear that it's um, and those those kind of feelings of of the respect and wanted a little part of it. I had that too because my dad spent five uh, five years in the Navy. My okay. uncle is career military. I think he's you know uh, colonel or lieutenant colonel or something like that. Um, so, uh, he's, you know, he got, he got high ranks and I remember going and he was, you know, he was teaching this stuff and I, I, you know, he, uh, he had me put, uh, put, you know, put together a, uh, uh, the bullets into a Kalashnikov, uh, the AK-47. And then there was an old kind of, um, you know, I think they call them Tommy guns, uh, here, but in, in Russian, there was Pepesha, whereas this whole kind of round, uh, thing. Yeah. It was, I, I, I kind of grew up around all that stuff, and my dad was taking me to in in, in the former Soviet Union. The um, uh, BB gun shooting ranges were everywhere uh, because it was still kind of the old Soviet way of they wanted everybody to be ready for war, which is horrible. But that's one of the ways that they were introducing it. They were introducing with BB gun ranges everywhere. So I, as a kid, I was going with my dad to the BB gun shooting ranges, and I became a good shot because of that. So kind of growing up in that whole environment, I wasn't thinking about uh, going into service. And my parents brought me here. One of the reasons was because as I was growing uh, older, I would have gone to Afghanistan uh, directly uh, if I was uh, drafted. And they said, no, you know, we see all these young boys getting killed there. We're not uh, doing that to our son. So yeah. they moved uh, to the United States. I'm, I'm grateful for that. But uh, the only time where I felt like uh, what a war or military service in reality would feel like to a tiniest degree is when I went paintball shooting with my buddies and then I rose up and there was a paintball right in my forehead and at that moment I thought thank god this is not real yeah man yeah and that you know that kind of gave me a whole different appreciation of this is I mean, obviously it's life and death stuff, but you don't feel it until you're in it. I was in a tiny little portion of it so I can feel what it may feel like. And I never want to do that in my life. Yeah. Yeah. All respect to those cats. You know, it's the life they chose. Um, I don't deify them, but they're amazing people for doing what they do and keeping us, you know, putting their life on the line to, to keep us safe. I, I appreciate that. And uh, again, like uh, I, I put in, in some way, I put cops in that same way, right? And, you know, people are, are going out, they're risking their life, so I'm safe. So I'm appreciative of it. I want to change the way that they handle some things, but I'm appreciative of the people who go in to serve others. That's where I'm coming from. Um, so Call of Duty is really cool. My son plays, uh, plays Fortnite. So, uh, you know, he, he hasn't played Call of Duty yet, but he might, you know. Let's get him up on it, man. What, what, what are we waiting for? Let's go and make sure he's playing The Sims and not getting me killed. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll see what I can do about that. <laughs> um, and then on your acting side, so again, you were you were a footballer. 
right? Yeah. Uh, you wanted to play football, and then you played wide receiver, and you got injured in college, correct? Yes. So I'm sorry about the injury. You know, it's a knee injury. It's it's you know, never never a good thing. But was it at that point where you kind of said, well, you know, I, I can potentially you know come back from this and do other stuff, but maybe that's a sign that I need to do something else. Or where was that pivotal moment where you decided, okay, I'm done with football and I'm going to go do acting? Um, you know, I've always been on both of those planes my whole life, right? I grew up wanting to play football. I wanted to be in the NFL or I wanted to be Theo Huxtable. Okay. So I was going to be on TV or I was going to be playing football on TV. Those are the only two things I ever thought about my entire life. Right. And so I went a hundred percent for both of those all the time. I mean, I was, when I was playing football, my whole determination was to get to the NFL. I, and well, but in between, you know, I would still audition for school plays and I would get, I got cast in every school play never was never in one of them i just did it for the audition opportunity right and just to see and but it's, at this time i'm in high school we still had a clear delineation between jocks and nerds and theater geeks that was a thing now it feels like everybody's all melded together nowadays right but back when i was in high school it was really clear you play football you're in plays we don't mix but i would kind of go between both worlds just to have the opportunity to audition because I really liked acting. Um, and I had been doing it since I was a kid. Um, I was in college at West Valley college and I tore my ACL and, and this was a junior college. So I was, I was being recruited to go to, you know, to play at the universities at, at D one universities. And when I tore my ACL, all the D ones stopped. They, they said they weren't going to offer and so all I was going to get was D2, um, a D2 scholarship. And I don't know if you know people, you know, who played football that way. My dream was D1 football. I wasn't playing football just for the love of football. I, I liked it, but I wanted to play D1. I had my heart set on going to the University of Arizona or, or uh, New Mexico. And once I tore my ACL, those schools went away. So that was the change for me after I couldn't go D one. I was like, all right, now I'm just going to hundred percent go into acting and comedy. And that's what I did. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> listen, you know, as, as a tennis player, uh, you know, I, I had dreams of being pro. It didn't plan out. So I, I, I feel that too, but yeah. you know, you, uh, it's uh, at least from, from your perspective and knowing all the, uh, all the trauma to the body and to the, and to the brain that uh, football specifically brings. You know, maybe that was a blessing in the in this. Oh, yeah. Allows you to have a much better life uh, for it. So. Yes. Yeah. Uh, both. I mean, I love football. I have an 11 year old son. Uh, I told him uh, from early on, I said, you're not playing football. You know, I'm a big, big fan. I, I want to watch it with you. So we watch the games, but he's not going to play football. So yeah. he, he's a tennis player. Uh, he, you know, uh, plays other sports as well. But like these types of heavy contact uh, sports. Um, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to, excuse me. So anyway. Um, yeah, well, here's, here's my thing about the football and I, I totally hear what you're saying about, um, your kid not playing. And I wanted my kid to play mm -hmm. at least I just wanted him to try it. Right. Because I feel like to me, football is a metaphor for life. You mm -hmm. are going to get hit. You're going to get knocked down. What are you going to do? Are you going to get up? Because if you get up, 
you're going to get hit again. And then you're going to have to get back up. And so I just, I, I wanted him to see that. And he tried it for one season. He played when he was, I want to say he was 12 years old. And he got hit hard, got back up, got hit again. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, okay, I'm done with this. <laughs> and I was okay with it. I was 100% okay. You got up one time. And you got the second one, you're like, no, this ain't the game for me. I'm going to stick to basketball and shooting these threes. Yeah. And I'm cool with that. And I'm cool. But I just – I really wanted – I was so happy that he just – that he tried it, you know. Um, it just – it was – I think it's a good thing for people to try. Don't make a career out of it because I played flag football after I played yeah. contact football for almost 20 years, right? Yeah. And after playing flag football one day, I was like, how did I do this getting hit? For yeah. 20 years, I don't know what I was thinking. Like, how do you do this? Because my body was dead from just playing flag. Yeah. It's, it's, really, it's really crazy. Especially as a wide receiver. I mean, you know you're going to get hit pretty much every single time. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you were in the slot or you were, you know, uh, you know wide, but you're getting hit. And you're yeah. usually getting hit by people who are professional at hitting. So, oh, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I can't imagine. I was, I was a wide receiver. I was a quarterback in high school. Okay. And um, we played against, I don't know if you remember, um, uh, Andre Carter, still a good friend of mine. He played for uh, he played for Cal, then he got drafted by the 49ers. He played for the Patriots. And I think he played for the Redskins, too, or, or the team formerly known as. Um, and by the way, in high school. Can we, pause, can we pause for a second? Yeah. Uh, you know, when Washington uh, said that they were going to change, uh, you know, the whole thing, what they came up with, uh, the Washington football team, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Seriously, I mean, they couldn't come up with anything better. Yeah, it was like, no, we 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 we've hold on, we've held on to this this racist name for so long, we never even thought of anything else, and now we're not going to think of anything right now. Like, why would you? How did you never have a a a, a, a extra a backup plan for a name? But I mean, the, these are people. Uh, I mean, Snyder has billions of dollars. Yes. Do you not have marketing uh, people who are going to at least give you options? And this is the best damn option that they came up with? Unbelievable. I, I just, anytime, and like everybody on, on sports center is like, the, the Washington, you know, <laughs> just horrible. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. So, uh, yeah, as a quarterback, I used to get hit even more. You know what I mean? Because wide receivers, sometimes, if it's not going to you, you just hang out, right? You hang out and you stay away from the play and make sure you're not getting injured or anything. Sometimes you even talk to the DB. You let them know, hey, it's, they're running that way. <laughs> so let's yeah. just take this play off, right? Yeah. Uh, but as a quarterback, I'm dropping back. You're getting hit. I remember in a, in a high school game, Andre Carter sacked me six times. <laughs> six times. And, I mean, I can still feel those. I still tell him to this day. Like, I feel those hits. I remember that. Quarterback is the hardest position. I mean, the hardest position to play in all the football, those guys deserve all the money they get. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, because it's it's not just it's not just ability to deliver. It's ability to read defenses. It's ability to react. It's ability to figure everything out in a matter of split seconds. Yeah. Uh, there's so much happening. I yeah, that that position is. And it's all on you. It's it's yeah. all on you. Which yeah. was my favorite thing about playing quarterback is, I can live if. I make the mistake and it's, it's on me. But yeah. if you make the mistake, mm-hmm. we might have a problem, right? I can't, I, I don't want you to do it. I'll do it. Yeah. I, I, I get it. It's, <laughs> I love watching football. 
uh, yeah. not growing up with football because I grew up, there was no football where I was, right? Yeah. You know, the first time I saw football was when I was 14 years old. Yeah. Uh, I love it. It's, it's, it's still one of my favorite sports uh, to watch. Yeah. Uh, my son and I throw football, which is, you know, there you go. The play part. Uh, anyway, so um, you, you went into acting and you've done some, uh, some really cool stuff. Uh, I, I want to touch on a few pieces because, you know, we can talk about your career for the next, you know, two and a half hours, but I want to touch on a few key pieces. I know that you were with, uh, with Russell Hornsby, who is also on the show. He, he's great. Uh, oh, yeah. With Russell and Chad, uh, you were in a, in a film together. Um, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm still heartbroken that, uh, that Chad is, is gone. Um, but what was the experience like? Because I think all of you guys were young at that time. And uh, just being in a project uh, together, uh, you know, what were some of the experiences there? Yeah, this was actually my first, this was a television show yeah. called Lincoln Heights. Mm -hmm. And it was my first wow. television job, like my first TV series job ever. And I got there and I didn't know, I mean, Chad was just cool. He had just, I think he had just been in, um, there was a movie about Floyd Little or there was a movie about, uh, I think it was a movie about Jim Brown, maybe. And he played Floyd Little in the movie. So I knew of him and saw him in this movie, but I get to set and he's just a young guy, you know, we're both about the same age and we're there on set and he's, he's, um, you know, he's a, he's a recurring character on this for this season. And I'm showing up as just a co-star, but everybody made me feel at home and I hung out with them the whole day because our scenes were basically together. And there's a scene where they're chasing me, right? And Chad is actually the one chasing me through the, the 7th Street Bridge tunnel. And I'm there as the co-star thinking like, okay, so I'm getting chased and if this dude chasing me, I'm gonna outrun him and show him how, you know, whatever. And I lost track of, yo, he's supposed to catch me. It's like, what are you doing? He's supposed to catch you because you're just the co-star. He's the star. Let him catch you, get arrested, and then we can go on. But so the first two takes, I'm sprinting down this, this bridge. I'm sprinting down this tunnel, right? And the, last, the second take, he catches up. He's like, hey, man, I'm supposed to catch you. <laughs> All right, I got you. I got you. So we, I slow down. I get caught. We do the seed. And, you know, in between takes, we're hanging out. And at lunch, I remember him just being such a different cat. He's talking to our director about all these scripts that he wrote. And he's trying to get made. And this guy, I'm, I think we're both around 28, 29. He's talking about scripts. I'm talking about going out at night, drinking, and, and you know, getting some girls. This yep. dude is, he's thinking ahead about and it really helped me think about how you got to be about this career and about this industry be trying to do the next thing and be focused right and even we became friends after that and I would invite him this is before he blew up I would invite him he'd come out and and have some drinks with us and I remember he was out and we're out having drinks and me and my buddies are out doing what you know, young dudes do. We're looking for girls. We're having drinks. This dude's talking to me about films. I'm like, bro, leave it alone. Like, <laughs> can we do something else? That's just what he was about. And we stayed, we stayed, you know, not like cool like that. But every now and then he would text me. And uh, he would say stuff like, hey, Red, so um, I'll meet you at such and such spot. And I'm thinking, whoa, okay, cool. Let's do it. And then he'd reply, oh. This was meant for Reggie Hudlin. My bad. <laughs> so, 
and I'll be like, I hate you. I hate you because I'm thinking this dude from, you know, uh, Black Panther, he, you know, Thurgood Marshall, he's hooking me up with a job or something. We better hang out. He did it to me about three times. And the last time I was like, you motherfucker, you better stop doing this. And he laughed. And that was the last time we had a, you know, an interaction and, and, you know, and then he passed away. But I remember those. And that was like a, a great memory I have of, mm-hmm. uh, of Chad. Really cool cat. And uh, kept mistaking me for Reginald Hudlin in his phone. I got you. And what about, uh, what about Russell? Um... Russell was cool, man. Um, because you know what I knew him from um, before Lincoln Heights. I remember him being in, there was an ESPN show. Um, I forget what it was called, but it was like Ballers on HBO before Ballers. Whoa. I don't know if you remember. It was like. Um, I need to rewatch that now. Oh, it was really good. And it got canceled. It was like football players, but it was like the seedy side of football players and the life and like the drug use and the, you know, the scandals and, you know, just the the money, the contracts. It was ballers before and I forget what it was called, but Russell was the star of that. Russell, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s brother, um, Omar Gooding. Yeah. played a, played another character in it. It was a really good show. And so I used to watch him from that. And then when I got to set talking with him, he was just a really cool cat and just someone for me to like mm-hmm. watch and steal from. Because when I get on set, that's all I do is steal, basically. Mm-hmm. Like I watch these great performers and I just take it all in and I, and I steal. And I just think of things that I could do differently and see their pacing and, and see how they take their time and what their thoughts are going through their head while they're shooting. And Russell just, I just watched that guy and just stole from him. And, and I continue to steal from him. I just watched him in um, the last series I was watching him in. I think it was, was it, oh man, it was the Netflix series where his kid got ran over by a car and they left him out in the snow and then the cops show up. I forget, it's called Something Seconds. Um, I haven't seen Seven Seconds time. or, yeah, something like that. But it's him and Regina King, is, he's fantastic in it. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, I was like, I, I had him on the show and he just, started talking about acting and I was just sitting back with my mouth, you know, pretty, pretty much open the whole, <laughs> the whole hour and a half that we were on. It's like, that's, that's a lot of acting wisdom right there. Yeah. Um, so what, what was, um, if, if you recall, what is kind of the most influential thing that, uh, that you stole from anybody, whether it's, uh, whether it's Russell or somebody else from an acting perspective that really made you into a better uh, artist? Um, what did I steal from somebody that was the best? You know what I did? I did learn. Um, this is, I was doing background work. Okay. And there was a show, I think it was, uh, I forget what it was called, but this was Ray Liotta's mm-hmm. first time on TV. It was a CBS series. Okay. Ray Liotta was the star, right? He was a star and he was executive producer. Okay. So I'm a background artist on this and I'm watching Ray Liotta because I think he's phenomenal, right? We're shooting this thing and he gets a phone call during one of the scenes. Literally gets a phone call during one of the scenes. And he cuts. Cuts everything. Cut. Uh, Hold on. I got to. Takes a phone call. Comes back gets another phone call, right? While they're shooting, gets another phone call, cut, and comes back. Now, there's two things I saw with this, right? 
two things were first one is you can't be the star and executive producer because then everybody's at your mercy, right? Because nobody could say anything to him. But the second thing I saw was the consistency that he brought every single time he came back. He would cut and you think, okay, he's got to get back to his place. No, this guy cut, he came back and he was right back to it. There was no like drop off. There was no like, um, you know, let me get myself ready because I always thought actors got to get into this space and this, no, this guy came back, he dropped back into it and he was the same dude right before the phone call that took, and these phone calls, I could hear him yelling at somebody. He's like, oh no, you got to do this. And he'd come back and he'd be right back in the scene. So from that, I just learned consistency, right? Be able, don't be affected. You can't let everything affect you. Mm-hmm especially when you're working in this medium, especially in television where it's, you've got, you've got a finite time to get this done, right? You've got to be on point. You've got to be on cue and you've got to get it to happen. Um, so that was one of the, the things I stole from, from Ray Liotta. I worked with, um, oh, Jesus, sorry. Um, Lily Tomlin in mm. a film called Grandma. Yeah. And I learned pacing right? She took her time with every scene. There was no rush. It's like, I watched her literally think everything through. I said something to her, I'd say something, and she would process it and then respond. And that's what acting is to me. It's just listening Mm -hmm. and responding to what was just said. And also, how do you feel about who just said what they said? that was all she did and it was beautiful to watch and it's just amazing that I got to be a part of that it was so so great that's awesome who's the again not to not to kind of write off anybody but if you had to pick one person that you worked with that from an acting perspective you view in the highest regard Lawrence Fishburne um <laughs> i mean I, I i worked on csi that was my second tv show worked with him uh on csi and i i literally like i just I, my, my scene was quick i'm 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 dead when basically i show up and I, I let him into i let him into something and then i i'm dead like the next scene right yeah. but just sitting there off camera listening to him talk about the world and he was doing, he was actually doing a one man show, I believe of uh, where he was Thurgood Marshall and he was doing it at, um, at uh, the theater around UCLA. I forget what it was called, but it was, it was so phenomenal to be there because I grew up watching this guy. I mean, um, Jesus, uh, Deep Cover was like one of my first like a movie that I really loved that I really got me, wanted me to get into filming, get into like films, seeing Deep Cover, seeing him in that Boys in the Hood. Um, what's love got to do with it? I mean, this guy was just he's always just been the color purple. Like he was one of my favorite characters in the color purple. And you don't even know he's in there unless you really watch that damn movie. Right. One of my favorite characters. And just to sit there and, and be there in his presence was amazing and then i ran into him at a cafe like a year after we shot it and then we sat down and had a little conversation there and it was really really cool and so that was he was my favorite i got you thank you for that 
Uh, as we wrap up, uh, if you had a chance to go uh, into you know, a hot time time machine, hot tub time machine, that's actually surprisingly difficult to say. Uh, uh, if you had a chance to, to go back and talk to a young Reggie that's just starting out in acting and give one piece of acting advice, what would that be? Get into a class. Mm. Get into class. Yeah. I thought when I first showed up, there, you could not tell me that I needed to be taught how to act. I thought I was, I was already Will Smith. I was already Tom Cruise. I was Jack Nicholson all wrapped in one. I didn't need this. It was, I was just a natural. Yeah. Get into a class, a good class, where you're around people who actually work and are booking so you can see the difference between what you do and what work does. Yeah. That's what you've got to do. You've got to watch people who work. And that's how you get better. And that's how you book jobs. Very cool. Well, thank you, Reggie. It's, it's such a pleasure having you on. I appreciate our, you know, wide ranging conversation. I know yes. <clears throat> I want to talk to you for another hour, but I know we need to, <laughs> we need to wrap up. So uh, thank you. Good luck. Uh, good luck with everything. Uh, stay safe. And uh, I'm going to, you know, see if my son can start playing Call of Duty. Let's do it. Don't get me killed. Appreciate uh, it. Do my best. Thanks, Reggie. Thank you, Alan. Have a great day. Thank you. And thanks to everybody for, uh, for tuning in. We appreciate it. Uh, you know, this is the end of November. Uh, please stay safe. Please stay smart. Wear a mask. And uh, let's make it through 2020 together. Thank you.